The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you seeking more energy and ready to have more healings and revealings in your life? Then you've tuned into the right program. For the next hour, listen in as Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, shares with you tools you can use to transform your life. She will guide you on a journey to create a life that is intentional and dynamic. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for being with us today. It's always exciting to connect with all of you and to to be on this amazing journey that that we call life. And as I often say here on our show, we're not interested in offering rules and boxes and, and limited thinking. We're here to come from a place of some great tools and which you can use in everyday practical application that can immediately change and shift uh, the potential of your life. One of the things that we all uh, learn, work with, uh, grow with, um, sometimes kind and unkind, is the idea of relationships. And so we brought in experts today. You know, often you have people out in the field and they're talking about the joy of relationships, and they're talking about how to have one. And I think you probably remember hearing me say it on the show. If you want to get a coach or a teacher or a book about relationship, listen to somebody who's actually doing it and doing it successfully. Stop listening to the people that aren't in a relationship. (laughs) So (laughs) we have listened to you and we have brought in today Linda and Charlie Bloom, and they are relationship in motion and in action. Welcome to our show today. I'm so glad that the two of you are here with us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you, and thank you for inviting us. Great to be here, Temple. Well, you have such an incredible, immense love story, and just so we can lay the groundwork together for all the people tuning in, um, tell us an overview of your background, how you discovered each other, and the things that are most important to you, and how you connected. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll try to give you the abbreviated version, because um, we've been mm-hmm. together for almost 50 years, um, so I don't want to take up your whole show with the history, um, but um, <clears throat> we met when we were very young, um, and we're still very young at heart, <laughs> although yes, our, our bodies have aged somewhat mm-hmm. over the past 50 years. <clears throat> um, we were both um, undergraduates in uh, Boston and at different colleges, and we <clears throat> we met at um, an event at a mutual friend's house. Uh, and um, we've kind of been together ever since. Um, <laughs> uh, and... Um, we got married four years later, and, um, <clears throat> you know, like with many couples, the infatuation years, um, and we did, you know, we did get some some good infatuation years. Not everybody does. Sometimes the honeymoon only lasts um, a few months or a few minutes, uh, but in our case, it lasted for, for a while, and then we um, we hit the... What we now see is the inevitable um, pitfalls of moving from the infatuation stage into the disillusionment stage, mm-hmm. and that's something that um, we, when we work with couples, which we both have been doing for quite a few years, we try to normalize that phase of the process um, because if you don't realize that at some point, um, you know, the rose-colored glasses that you're wearing are going to turn very gray. Um, if you don't realize that, then you're going to be in for a shock and a disappointment, and um, you're going to start to question things. You're going to start to question, you know, who is this person that I that I got 
involved with, that I'm now committed to, that I'm now married to, who, because they're not who I thought they were. Um, and uh, you're, you're going to start to question and doubt things and doubt yourself and doubt your judgment and doubt whether you're a good pair. Um, because we don't talk about this much. And so because practically every couple goes through some version of this, um, we start to, because we don't get any realistic input from other people, we start to um, really question um, ourselves and think that we are uniquely um, dysfunctional as, as a couple or as a person. So we try to, you know, in our, in our books, this is uh, the book that we're going to be talking mostly about today is one that, we, um, that just came out a couple of weeks ago. And um, we've got three other books that we um, have written. And in, in all the books, we try to make it clear to people that um, this, is, this is normal. This is the way of relationships, that there are some very bright times and then there, there can be some very dark times. And what we try to do is to give people um, a heads up about some of the things that we've learned over the last 50 years. <clears throat> and um, one of our books, our first book actually, is a compilation of 101 mistakes that we made. It's called 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married. Um, because we've, you know, we've been through our own versions of the trenches. And um, we've managed to come through it. This most recent book, is about a particularly challenging time um, when our when we were in serious transition, um, changing our living situations, moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, restructuring our family completely, um, changing things in a profound way that we um, didn't anticipate. Um, so to really give people some um, understanding of what this process can be like and some hope that even when you fall into some of those very difficult, painful places that uh, even when it feels hopeless, that it isn't necessarily hopeless, that there are, there are things that we can do, there are challenges that we can meet, but we have to develop certain aspects of ourselves in order to adequately meet those challenges, certain traits, qualities, strengths that need more development, and we talk about some of the practices that can develop some of those qualities. So that's the abbreviated version. <laughs> well, and a great job. <laughs> it's a lot to do a quick overview of a of a fifty year of a fifty year window, and um, and just put the like you said the practical aspects of it and um there's you know i remember as a as a child i i had a poster in my room and it said learn from the mistakes of others because you may not live long enough to learn all of those things yourself and so when i was in this seeking or the searching of relationship i paid attention to some of the few people um, that I met that I actually thought were happy. You know, it, it's one thing to for people to be together and accumulate and things like that, but from the perspective of the joy and the happiness and things like that, or the deepening, which is what you're talking about, going through those deep times of is this for us and all that. I, I want to just say a couple of things. One of the things that I've observed in my own life is that when you're coming into that relationship and you're infatuated, like you said, and everything is la-la, you know, and you don't need sleep and you don't need to eat and you lose weight and you're all trim and buff and, you know, all that wonderful stuff and the very things that you found so thrilling and funny and energetic about the person you're with, you know, when it starts to be the 10-year window of the same stuff and the 15 and the 20, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> 
that seemed a lot of fun at first, but, you know, I didn't know it was going to be for a, a lifetime, you know, whatever parties are the people that I've counseled in my 30 years of ministry. And the other one that I love, and I think that this is what you're tuning into, are the is the healthiness of relationship. And there was a woman that is still married with her husband for 47, 48 years, and they renew their vows to themselves every year. You know, if we are going to stay in this, how's that going to look? So I love your your common sense uh, around the communication aspect and the depth of being part. Now, how long had you been together um, when you were when you were going, whoa, wait a minute. You know, this is a strain for us in our relationship. And are we are we going to make it? Where, where were you at? that Lynn led you the timing to use the aspects of the book, to write the book, what that which doesn't kill us. And everybody tuning in right now and on Facebook Live, we're talking to relationship experts, literally experts, not only in the educational credentialing, but in the life credentialing process. You can go to their website, Bloom Work, Bloom, W-O-R-K, Their up-and-coming book is That Which Doesn't Kill Us by Charlie and Linda Bloom. So what period of time was that? Because you're you're giving richness in the book. Because we we have a chronic issue in our society, don't we? We have challenges galore. And this isn't an intimacy-supportive culture that we live in, and it's much uh, more about defining successes, money, power, and status rather than the depth of your loving partnership. So we had ordinary problems, pretty ordinary problems, the first 12 years that we were together. And we had a few kids, and this book starts when we relocated from the East Coast to the West Coast because we had been business for ourselves and we had lived in a little sleepy uh, New England town and then we moved to the West Coast and Charlie became a corporate guy. And I really supported the move and encouraged him to take the job with the corporation because I was so eager to live in California. I wanted to be where the weather was warm and where I thought there were people who were more uh, like us that we could fit in. And our life immediately when we changed coasts and moved here turned upside down. And that laid-back guitar picking hippie that I had married and fallen in love with and had children with and we were mutually supporting each other's career development and doing partnership for rearing the children, I all of a sudden found myself in the traditional role of mom and that I was doing almost all of the child care and he was doing the providing for the family because the corporation insisted that that everybody that worked for them worked really long, excessive hours. I don't think it's healthy to work an 80-hour work week. And so I let go of my career as a counselor because I felt like the children really needed to have at least one parent around. And Mm -hmm. it was not only the loss of family and friends on the East Coast and loss of Charlie because he was gone you know, flying around the country in Canada teaching these personal growth courses, but it was the loss of my career. And I was just in a, in a grief state, and I wanted out of that in the worst way. And I tried to get Charlie to leave the corporation, but he was already totally in love with his job. He found, yeah. he, he thought he found job charming, and I just, I couldn't compete with this uh, ecstatic, you know, flow state that he was in when he was doing this work. So we fought a lot, and I cried a lot, and it went on for quite a period of time. And we we depicted in vivid detail in the book, but we also depict in vivid detail how we managed to hang in there and we didn't go the way of the separation and divorce statistics. And fortunately, has a really happy ending where we took that breakthrough 
break down and instead of becoming a break up it became a breakthrough so i'm i'm hopeful that it's an inspirational story for people who are in breakdown to find the strength and the determination and the support and the qualities and practices that will help them to not just bear it but to make something of it as a growth opportunity for them as individuals and also to come through as a stronger family on the other side. That's powerful. That's very, very beautiful. And what would you say or, or to give some teasers for the book itself of your discoveries that you made in that time? Because I'm very confident many people that are listening right now are evaluating their relationship. How could it be better? You know, is this the one I want to be in for the, you know, the next 50 years of my life or for the my life to its entirety? Um, what are two or three of those teasers that you can give us that you could say this is a must-have in your toolbox in a marriage? <clears throat> well, you know, the, the word that comes up, for most people when you ask them that question, because uh, they know the answer. Um, and it's uh, the C word, it's communication. Um, that you, you've got to be willing to hold the channels of communication open. But we, we learned to distinguish the difference between talking and communicating. And there's a huge difference there because a lot of couples do talk. But the talking is not at a level that's going to really impact on the quality of the relationship. The talking may be um, driven by an intention. Uh, I know before we went on the air, you used that word, and that's really a huge part of, of what is underneath all of this, is that what is the intention when you're talking? Is it is it to create a connection, which is what communication does. In communication, there's a mutual understanding and acceptance and respect for each person's experience. When you're talking, um, it's not necessarily driven by an intent to create that level of connection and understanding. So so we, we learned to distinguish those two, and we learned to communicate in ways that expressed not only our, our thoughts and our opinions and our beliefs and our judgments um, and our advice and, and those things that are very easy to access and to communicate to, to somebody, but we learned to reveal through our communication what our underlying experience was. We really learned to get vulnerable and to be honest about, look, this is what's going on with me now, and point the finger of blame away from our partner and point the finger of responsibility towards ourselves to really hold ourselves as responsible agents in this situation because it's so much easier to see their flaws and their faults than it is to recognize our own. And this takes discipline, self-discipline, because it feels better, it feels safer to be resentful and hold the, our partner responsible for our difficulties and our suffering than it is to say, well, but what about me? Don't I play a part in this too? The only person that we can possibly influence and change is ourselves. Mm-hmm. And yet the tendency with all of us is very strong to focus on the other person's flaws and faults. So, so communication, responsibility, um, the, the willingness to be vulnerable and to be non-defensive when we are communicating, these are huge things that um, in many, many cases will determine whether the relationship makes it or not. That's really powerful. Uh, one of our listeners is writing in, um, how you doing, Bandana? When you are pointing your finger at someone else, there are three more fingers pointing back at you. That's pretty good. That's (laughs) right. That's pretty good, right? Um, And and do you find with your, um, London, Charlie, with your your years as as counselors and, and, and advocates, if you will, for it's 
definitely accomplishable to have a, I don't think that's a word, but in South Carolina, that would be a word, uh, where we, you know, it, it can be achieved, these long-term relationships. Um, do you feel that so many people just model and, and don't understand on a subconscious level that what they saw their parents do is often what's driving them? I mean, do you do you see that a lot as a factor? We see many people in our counseling practice that we see in person, that we see over the phone, that we see in Skype calls, in our classes. They um, haven't yet made that leap in their mind that they don't have to be defined by their past not by their past with their family of origin, which may not have given them good models of a working partnership and good communication skills and good conflict management skills and good negotiation skills, but they do not have to be defined by that. We also find that people are still caught in the trauma of a previous adult relationship, maybe a divorce or some romantic partnership that blew up and didn't go well and they had heartache and grief and disappointment and that they don't have to be defined by that either. But what it will require is that they roll up their sleeves and get to work, and you use the word discoveries, that they will discover what it is that was not working in their family of origin and what might not have been working in their prior adult relationships so that they can be creative and adventuresome and try some new things. And one of the purposes in writing this book, That Which Doesn't Kill Us, is to expose ourselves about the wrong thinking, the limited beliefs, the behaviors that we indulged in that were unskillful and made a very challenging situation even worse. I love the poster that was in your room as a child that said, learn from the mistakes of others. So we Mm -hmm. put all this ugly shadow material out there about when we were ignorant and unconscious and we were unconscious combatants and we fought so much, we actually didn't know any better because we came from, from families, both of us. God bless them. If they'd known better, they would have taught us better, but they didn't know. And so we came with the belief system into our relationship that you have to get it off your chest. As if you, if you didn't blurt those things out, that you're going to grow a tumor, you know, or get some ulcers or something really bad for you. We didn't know how to speak the truth of our deeper experience, our vulnerable experience, our fears and our pain without the judgment, without the accusation. But we learned. We, you know, we're good students. It's signature strengths for both of us. We had a lot to learn. Charlie mentioned our first book, 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married. That was narrowed down from 300. We didn't want the book to be a big, heavy tome, so we narrowed it down. 101 Things That You Wish You Had Knew Before You Got Married. That's powerful. Yes, and in answer to your question, and I, I don't know if it's a real word, accomplishable, but I believe in this, that we are able to do it, that we have the capacity to do it, that we have the good mind and the creativity and the energy and the drive and the motivation that makes learning to be in a fabulous relationship possible. It's workable. It's a fair amount of work, actually, to create them. We have another book that we wrote called Secrets of Great Marriages, where we interviewed the happiest couples that we could find and let them tell in their own words their secrets to success. None of them lucked into that marriage. They earned their way in, and Mm -hmm. they found some of the same things that we found about making the relationship a high priority, about making the relationship a level playing field where there was a certain sense of equality that makes um, uh, for safety, that they had to cultivate certain qualities in themselves. A lot of us are not tolerant and acceptant accepting and patient and forgiving and there's really a lot that we need to grow in ourselves to be eligible for a great 
relationship, to be able to be flexible and not attached to how it has to be, not to be run by our fear that makes us be controlling. And so all We're we're having a couple of moments where there's space with nothing coming through there. Oops, whoops. Okay, I was just talking about the skill set that's required for us to be eligible for a great relationship, you know, cultivating the qualities of patience and tolerance and acceptance and commitment and becoming forgiving and making the relationship a level playing field where people feel that they're dealing with an equal and having flexibility, not being attached to what it has to look like. Mm -hmm. This is a, a really creative form of relationship and I am totally with your friend who does the renewing of vows every year. Charlie and I do that on our wedding anniversary and on Valentine's Day. We just just don't assume that the other person's going to reenlist with us. We make a a point of saying what it is that we're committed to in this new era of our relationship. I love that. I love that because the secret isn't, you know, how have I survived you this long? And you, me, it's more, you know, moving forward with the next year. How can I support you at being a better human being? Or what are some of your goals and values that you have longed for that you've yet to be realized? It's a whole different place. I love that you say on your website, which, again, everyone is Bloom, their last name. We're talking with Linda and Charlie Bloom. So bloomwork.com. And I, I love one of the components in your on your website is you're you're talking about a place of living in, in gratitude. And, you know, often when I'm teaching, I'm sharing with people. It's every day, I think, that we decide, am I going to focus on what I see that's working? Uh, you know, all around me, cert- relationship with myself, which is a big start, but all the other aspects of that. Or do I focus on what's wrong? You know, of that. And and when you're talking about that place of gratitude, it's an entirely different energy, isn't it? With a different set of eyes and, and a heart. But I loved that you said skill set. And I, you know, it it's something that it, it seems so common sense that most people would realize they, they haven't learned the skill set. They don't know how to get it. In relationship, but it's well worth having it um, for the long-term payoff of, of what it can be. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on on that one. Um, we do have um, many of us have resistance to acknowledging the what can seem to be obvious truth that oh, I'm I'm just lacking in certain skills that for good reason, I haven't picked up along the way. Um, There's something about that 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 causes us to feel more vulnerable um, than when we think that, well, I'm I'm not lacking any um, skills. I'm just uh, with a person who's lacking them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. so, So, I mean, it requires a willingness to really be vulnerable and to tell the truth to ourselves like wow I guess I have a few things to learn here because as soon as I acknowledge that to myself my fear about well am I going to be able to learn these things and why haven't I learned them already it seems like everybody else has they don't seem to be struggling the way I am Um, so it it requires a certain level of humility and, and courage to experience the humility of recognizing that I still have something to learn and maybe I have a few things to learn but when we can acknowledge that then we can begin to challenge our fear that oh maybe I'm not going to be able to learn it Um, Mm -hmm. we encourage people to look at other times in their lives when they have felt the exact same way when they've been faced with a challenge that they felt like oh man I'm not going to be able to do this. Or they see somebody else mastering something that they would like to be able to master, but they could, they can't because they haven't developed the ability yet. But then how, look, look ahead into the future at how you were able to accomplish that. And you were convinced, just as you're convinced right now, that you can't do this. 
So sometimes it can be a good thing to be wrong about ourselves. Wrong that I, I don't think I can do this. Wrong that there's something wrong with me. Wrong that um, um, I don't have the skills that I need. Um, so, you know, um, it's really so much in the perspective that you're choosing to view your situation from, the lenses that you're viewing your life from. And, and I know that you're very much aware of this, and I suspect that a lot of your listeners are too. Well, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm with all of you that a committed lifelong learner, right? And, and we're always expanding in what we know and what we don't know or, or what we felt worked uh, very effectively or the food we ate or what we called love in our thirties when we're at another place in our lives, we might anticipate or long for it to look like something, you know, very different. So, um, I think that we're always uh, growing and learning. I, I love uh, Wayne Dyer's statement that it's so much better to be kind than right. And I, <laughs> I, I, that's a very, I think, a very powerful premise, you know, to mm-hmm. come from because who needs to be right more so than than being kind? Um, because it's when I just find in relationship in my uh, life that when when my partner advances, I do. You know, when I advance, she does. It's a it's a space that it's not a competitiveness. It's not a well, I got some of, so therefore you got less of. It's more. It's a mutual beneficial love fest, um, and it's an ongoing growing because you know no one can prepare us. Um, I mean, obviously, these books that you have help because they not only educate, but they put normalcy and validation on. This is real, you know, people (laughs) brought to you by people that have experienced it. But as adults, I mean, I don't know why it is in our society. We we can't wait to become grownups because we sure get to be grownups for a very, very long time. And as a spiritual leader, as long as I have been, most of all in my own life, you know, life is very complicated and complex, and um, and we see our 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 love mates say things like goodbye to their parents and and goodbye to loved ones, and you know the economy changes their world. Or I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of things that we can't be experts at because we've never had the experience, right? That's right. We can't become accomplished unless we have some challenges come our way and fit ourselves against the challenges. And when Charlie and I were challenged by this separate lives that we were living because he was out of town three weeks out of most every month and I was home with kids doing a, the, the traditional woman, which we hadn't agreed to that, I resisted it and I fought it. And I fought him. And that was a necessary step in our life. And there was part of me that could recognize that I needed a challenge of that magnitude to force me to become stronger and stand on my own two feet. But I fought it with everything in me because I didn't want to have to go through this ordeal. It was one of the most difficult things I've ever gone through in my life. In retrospect, of course, I can look back on it now and see how it really served me and that we couldn't be having all the joy and the bliss and the well-being and the financial comforts and the wonderful careers that we have now without having gone through that. But I couldn't see it at the time. I didn't have the eagle vision to see the broad overview that that was something that I needed in my life. I thought I was being dragged into it against my will. <laughs> I, I, I hear you, and I, now. I can <laughs> totally relate to that, and you know, and um, and and applaud you for that particular time, those years ago, that you knew there was a different role to be had when it was kind of common for a lot of women to take a, a side road or a, a side door. So, you know, I applaud you on that, both of you. 
for accomplishing, you know, the ability to, to show up different. How do you keep your relationship fresh? How, what, how do you keep it, um, you know, adventurous and, and dynamic and, and having the qualities of, of the new within something that's becoming, uh, you know, that is obviously very long term. Yes. And, you know, we've been together for so many decades and a lot of people when they get to their, their age that we are and how many years we've been together, it gets a little uh, stale and predictable and a little too heavy on the security and not enough on the novelty and adventure. But I am inspired by the couples who are keeping romance alive well into the decades. And we interviewed a lot of them when we interviewed for uh, Secrets of Great Marriages. And there's there's research about it where they they you know, watch their brain function. And a lot of these couples that have been together for decades, they light up like the new romance couples do. I thought that was pretty exciting news. And we uh, both like to travel. We just came back a couple weeks ago from being in India for three weeks. And it was a challenging trip. But uh, we had a wonderful time. We were with a group, and we had a terrific guide. And so going on adventures to foreign lands is always pretty exciting. Do you know, I had never been before. Charlie had been one time, but it was many years ago. And we also, in addition to going, going out to foreign lands, we're so interested in personal growth that we're, you know, deeply into the meditative life and the inner life and sharing our inner life with each other. So we have check-ins every day. We have a, a friend named Sam Keen, and he calls that being a psychonaut. The astronauts <laughs> go out in space and the people who are interested in their That's own cool. psychology go inside. So we do that and we try to try to do things that are new, that go places that we've never been before, investigate areas that we haven't known before. We both read a lot. We're avid readers. We're quite taken, both of us, with the positive psychology movement. And so we teach a couple of courses on happiness. One is called The Art of Joyful Living, and the other one is called Thriving. And so we've had to do a survey of the literature, which has been pretty exciting and talking and sharing about that, they're pretty uh, aligned, the people in the positive psychology movement, that where you get the biggest bang for your buck in the happiness and well-being department is your closest relationships, particularly creating a happy marriage. And one of the Mm -hmm. other ways to really lift yourself up into the well-being strata is to cultivate the attitude of gratitude, which we've been doing for decades now. And I love the phrase that some of the positive psychology people use. They call it joy jolt. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's powerful, joy jolt. Yes. Count your blessings. You know, keep a gratitude journal. Do it every morning or do it every night. And Charlie and I don't necessarily write down what we're grateful for, but we say it out loud to each other. Mm-hmm. That's very powerful. Yeah, I, I see um, on bloomwork.com that uh, you got a raving endorsement from Marianne Williamson, uh, which we're certainly familiar with, all of us in our on the radio, um, about the book Secrets of Great Marriages. And, you know, you're you're just spot on. And I'm I love the work that you're doing. And and that's. That's where everybody needs to be is to take advice from people that have actually done it, that have been there, done that, had their uh, breakdowns and their breakthroughs, like you said, you know, earlier, uh, because you learn so much and it it saves a lot of steps and a, a lot of challenges that can lie ahead with the idea of relationship is to learn from people who, like yourself, who have uh, accumulated the um, the information and the skill sets, and it just becomes you know the formula of everyday living. Um, so you're you're blooming all of us in a greater concept of what relationship can be. So your your name is spot on there. <laughs> you know. 
People are having trouble figuring out whether to call this book a self-help book or a memoir. I myself have been deliberating back and forth because it's such a personal story. It could be called Mm -hmm. memoir, but I think the teachings in the story come through so loud and clear that you could easily call it a self-help book. So I'm I'm leaning now towards changing the category to self-help. Yeah, I I can see that. I can see that it's both and, you know, and um, and and that it can go in either either direction. But definitely a self-help um, because yeah, the, I mean, um, look at where we are. You know, I I. I interviewed um, someone not too long ago, Anthony Diaz, and I had him on the television show too, Intentional Spirit. And he um, is a mediator, and he wrote a book, Divorce with Dignity. And he was talking about, you know, the statistics, and and you probably know them more accurately than I because it's not a field that I represent solely, but it's something like, you know, if 60% of all the people that get married get a divorce, then you think that in the second marriage that because of the learnings or the devastation or, wow, that wasn't fun, I'm going to do whatever I need to do so that won't happen again. The surprising number is that the number two or number three try goes up instead of lower with statistics across the, the board of people getting a divorce. That's shocking. It, it really says that. We need to read, learn, um, experience from other people, um, so we don't keep adding to that to that number. I was I was shocked by that. I was kind of surprised because I would have thought that the first divorce would be you know whatever it is, but then the second one would be lower, um, but not. Yeah, um, I think that is surprising to those of us who take seriously the um, option to learn from our experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, for you and for for many of us, when we have what we consider to be um, a failure or an incompletion in a project, and marriage (laughs) is certainly uh, a big project, um, the inclination is to try to learn what there is for me to learn from this so that in the future I can put in a correction that can enable me to be more successful. So what it tells me that the rate of divorce for second marriages is higher than it is for first, and the rate of divorce for third marriages is higher than it is for second, is that um, there's still an awful lot of us out there who are not, learning from our experiences. We're not bringing an intention to understand what went wrong here. What part did I play in this? What correction do I need to put in so that I can assure that my future relationships are not going to break down this way? Um, Apparently, there's still quite a few of us out there who are not asking the right questions. No doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt about it. And so to have the book, That Which Doesn't Kill Us, is, um, is something to add to all of our, our bookshelves or our Kindle because it's it's of immense value. I also love the title of your other book, 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married. I, I think that that is just a tool to have in the toolbox as well of the simplicity of understanding, you know, certain dynamics. But give us another insight um, from from your new book um, that we can kind of close out our show with. You know, people seem to really like the subtitle of our book, How One Couple Became Stronger at the Broken Places. 
Mm. And if you talk to nurses and doctors, they say that that broken bone, you know, if you broke a, broke a leg or you broke an arm, it uh-huh. really is stronger than it was before the break because the body knows just what to do to send extra calcium to the place that broke, and it does actually become stronger. But in our psychological traumas, the opportunity is there to become stronger at those broken places. Charlie and I were so disconnected during uh, a lot of the time when he was a corporate guy, had a personality change, and he was so arrogant and full of knowing, and didn't make family life and couplehood a high priority in our life at that time, and it was a real low point of our marriage. We came away so much stronger at that broken place that we started our own business. We decided we were going to build our own dream. We would never work for anybody else that might put demands that would be too harsh on family life, and we made family life the higher priority than work life. And I think a lot of people are suffering these days from work addiction, and it's it's common, but it's a hidden, sort of invisible addiction in our culture. And one of the things that the book does, among many others, is alert people if they're in a system that is really not good for their family life and is really stealing energy and well-being away from their partnership. So we're here to testify that there are so many places where you can feel broken, traumatized, disappointed, disillusioned. But if you work those places, and this is no guarantee that the relationship will come through, but you've got a fighting chance for the relationship in the old form that it was in to die, and then Phoenix rises up out of the ashes and there's a rebirth into a much healthier, wholesome relationship as a result. Wow, that's really powerful. That's really awesome. Um, I see that you do um, you do blogs and um, do you do podcasts or webinars and other other teachings? What's the best way for people to stay hooked into you? Well, we've got blogs on six blog sites. We blog on Psych Central and Psychology Today, and if people go to Bloomwork, they can link up to all the places where we blog. We have a whole lot of free things on our website. And people are digging Facebook Live. We're having a ball with that. We do that every single Thursday at 1230 Pacific time, but if people are tied up with work or other activities, they're all archived, so people can go back and see the older ones. And if they go yeah, to our, it, um, it is fascinating that people are so into Facebook Live now. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy doing it also. But um, also, they have a lot of videos um, that you can access. Um, for those of you tuning in on their website, bloomwork.com. Uh, forward slash videos so you can you know go and listen to some of their teachings and some of their learnings we we all owe it to ourselves to have a, a deepening and a greater awareness as an intentional spirit to you know to love the one we're with and to to learn and to educate and expand more in in what is possible because we we truly all are in this in this together. I, I want to thank you, uh, Linda and Charlie. The time always goes by so fast, for, which is a good sign, I think, but also very delighted that you've been with us today. Uh, thank you for being such a role model for uh, the component of healthy relationship. And we trust that many people will access your books and your learning, everything that you've had from your experiences. And thank all of you to our listening audience. Really appreciate it so much. Um, I thank you. Please join me at templehays.com or firstunity.org to find out more about various things that I'm doing, not only in the way of travel, but in the way, most importantly, in spiritual community. God bless all of you on this amazing journey that we call life. Thank you so much for being with us, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. 
Join us every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central for tools and simple applications which will support you from being alive to fully living. This program is brought to you in part by First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. To learn more about this ministry, go to www.unitycampus.org or www.templehaze.org. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find think of peace, we may imagine ourselves sitting high on a mountaintop at daybreak or walking on a secluded beach while the sun sets. But peace isn't a luxury reserved only for special occasions or special places. It's an essential tool for daily living. My peace isn't dependent upon a particular place or event. At any time and in any circumstance, I can shift my focus from the appearances of life to the reality of peace within myself. Park Cousins said, How things look on the outside of us depends on how things are on the inside of us. So if you don't like what you're seeing around you, paint a different picture within you. Peace. What I see is what I get. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit. Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.